Well said. Well said. Well said. Well said. Well said. Well spoken. Well said, Robin. What do chickens in and out and evangelism have in common, you might ask? These all characterize the one and only Ray Comfort. We will be talking about each of these things and more. No doubt you have heard of Ray Comfort or the ministry he started called Living Waters. You may have read one of his many, many books or handed out one of his gospel tracts. I'm excited for this conversation and I hope you're looking forward to listening to it as well. Welcome to the podcast, Ray. Thank you. Appreciate being on. Has your father had anything to do with the questions? Uh, for the most part, no. <laughs> That's good. Because it would go into absolute detail if it <laughs> Every question I answer, you say, why do you answer like that? Why'd you say that? When did that happen? Yes. Okay, I'm ready. I'm mentally prepared. Okay. So, in the intro, of course, chickens and in and out. So, let's, uh, let's get that out of the way. Why do you love chickens so much? Because they're machines that make eggs. They're, they're amazing. They're just really dumb. I don't know if you know, but chickens are really stupid. You've got to pick them up and they screech and howl as though you're going to pick them up and wring their neck and have them for dinner or something. <laughs> and so they're, they're really, really weird. But they, they give you hygienically sealed packages every day. You just throw trash in one end and out comes this hygienically sealed package that you can fry, poach, scramble, or make into an omelette. And I think they're phenomenal. They really are funny. They walk like dinosaurs. They're not dinosaurs, <laughs> as scientists tell us. They just walk like dinosaurs. They've got a lot of character. They have a pecking order. They act like humans in the sense they eat and sleep. They all go to a place to sleep every night, and they, they have their breakfast. My wife walks around the corner, and they all run to meet her because they know she feeds them. So chickens are really fascinating. Besides that, we can give eggs to our neighbors yeah. and to our friends and family and uh, everyone likes eggs, so I toss eggs at the neighbors regularly. <laughs> How many chickens do you have? We had 23 up until yesterday when one came out as a rooster. I identified as a rooster, which horrified us, and then we saw two other roosters among the, the chickens. So uh, now we have 20, I think. They won't stand still, so it's hard to count them. Oh, why so few? <laughs> oh, I'd love more. But our city only allows 25, and they don't allow roosters. Oh, what a bummer. And the way I make them lay, have I told you how to make them lay? I don't, oh, you put the wooden egg in or something? No, no, that's to stop them pecking at other eggs. Oh. No, I've got a big sign, it's a picture of uh, Colonel Sanders oh. on the wall, yes. number one. And the other thing is I lean in each morning and say to them, what's for dinner tonight, ladies, eggs or chicken? <laughs> and that gets them pumping those <laughs> eggs out. <laughs> okay, the second thing is, please share about your love affair with In-N-Out. Oh, In-N-Out are just wonderful. They're a Christian organization. They have Bible verses on their packages, which thrills me. Um, that's mainly what I like about them. It's uh, they're, they're quick to serve you. They don't have a lot on the menu. I give out In-N-Out cards. I have done almost every day for, for years, give them out to people I witness to, and almost everybody in Southern California falls over with joy when you give them a couple of $5 In-N-Out cards because everybody likes In-N-Out. Yeah. Almost. <laughs> Yeah, we have some friends, and they'll know who, when they hear this, they'll know who I'm talking about. But they, like, they like In-N-Out, but where they live, they do Whataburger, and they are, they're more for Whataburger than for uh, In-N-Out. Uh, uh, traders. <laughs> <laughs> now, Whataburger's really good. Okay. They're from Texas, aren't they? Uh, yes. They're just bigger burgers, that's all. Everything's bigger in Texas. Yeah. If anyone's heard your testimony, then 
they've heard it. So they can find your testimony on some other platform. So we won't talk about that now. But (laughs) I say good because when I was a new Christian, I gave my testimony so many times. Uh, I had hair on my shoulders. So when I went into a church, I stood out like a sore thumb. So people would say, come up and give your testimony. And I noticed I gave it so many times. There were guys in the audience who were mouthing my testimony with me. (laughs) And I'm not kidding. I thought, I've done enough. Wow. You became a Christian before your wife did. Yes. So if your wife didn't follow in surrender to Jesus, what would your ministry look like now? Well, that's a good question. Um, Yeah, Sue was brought up in a Christian home, uh, but she had a false conversion when she was, I think, eight years old or a little older. She gave her life to Christ out of fear. Uh, Someone preached on the second coming, and she was terrified, and there was no repentance. So when she met me, she fell away. And then she came back to the Lord, but she has been tremendously supportive. Uh, I, I really don't know what the ministry would be like without her. It'd be, I think it would be meager in the sense that when I say she's supportive, just having her support and encouragement is just wonderful. Mm-hmm. Wives are a good idea. Help mates. It's not good for a man to be alone. And so you came from New Zealand. You're, of course, I'm sure people can hear from your accent. You're from New Zealand. Um how long did it take for America to feel like home? Pretty quick, um, because I ministered in Hawaii, I think, seven or eight times before we were invited to the U.S., so I'd had a taste of American culture through living in Hawaii, I think a week at a time for about seven or eight weeks. Went back. We went back from New Zealand to Hawaii, flown over there with a missionary organization, so um, we settled in almost immediately. You don't realize it, but American culture has found a place in many nations because of American television. Oh, yeah. You know, you just see all these television programs of Americans speaking. You get to know the lingo and what Mm -hmm. everything means and uh, the way they think and the way they live. And so when it came over here, it just felt like home. Okay. Really did. Yeah, that makes sense. What was your biggest culture? Except for the freeways. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Freeways terrified me. Yeah, freeways are not fun. (laughs) So what was your biggest culture shock when you came to America? Freeways. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> New Zealand's only got three or four million people and 40 million sheep. They're not sure of the amount of sheep because the guy that counts them keeps falling to sleep, as we all know. But there's only one. There, there was only one freeway in New Zealand. That was in Auckland, which is about 700 miles north of my city. So we didn't have any freeways. So to come over here and uh, get on a freeway when you used to drive on the other side of the road yeah. with the steering wheel on the other side was just weird to get in a car with a steering wheel, what felt like the wrong side and have everybody trying to kill you from about 15 different directions. Because there's, there's a freeway I get on each Saturday to go to Huntington Beach, and I don't know why people skydive. You can get an adrenaline rush by getting on that freeway where I get on. You've got 20 seconds to move over four or five lanes. If you don't, you're dead. And I get on my little VW Bug, the little Beetle, yeah. and I just know those big SUVs just want to swat me as I, when I get on because I come on at 35 miles an hour to start with. I've got to get to 70 within 20 seconds. The speed differential is, terif- differential is terrifying. Mm-hmm. And I look behind me and these big SUVs are saying, get out of the road, I'm going to run you over. And if anything lends itself to treat others as you'd have them treat you, it's when you get on a freeway, you want people to give you a little grace. I'm just getting on, please move over, I've got to get on. I really don't want to die. And so there I go, I go through that every Saturday morning of being close to death, giving me an adrenaline rush, which keeps me happy. Yeah, the big trucks are no joke. <laughs> Why did you not 
go back to New Zealand with the Living Waters? Why was Living Waters not a New Zealand thing? No, um, New Zealand, I started Living Waters in New Zealand in 1974. Mm. Um, and then I spoke in hundreds of churches, and it's only a little nation, and I sort of got churched out, I guess. I've spoken to a lot of people, a lot of churches, and so when doors opened in Hawaii and then in California, um, it was just a natural move to come to the U.S. When we were invited to base our ministry here, we prayed about it, and over a three-day period, 13 different really weird things happened to confirm to us that God was leading us to come to the U.S., and when we came, things were quiet for three years until just it exploded when well-known ministries heard the teaching hell's best kept secret mm -hmm. and uh, publicized it in a, in a huge way but the first three years were quiet over here okay what were those three big things that confirmed oh 13 oh 13 yeah 13 yeah um oh our house sold to the first person i said it was for sale mm -hmm. it was number one um number two my in-laws said that god had spoken to them three days earlier saying that we're going to go and live in the u.s my mother, who was Jewish, cussed me out, got really angry, said, you take my grandchildren from me, just got so upset. And then she admitted that God spoke to her, and she's not even a Christian, mm -hmm. saying that we're going to go and live in the U.S. Um, a lot of strange things happened. This is going to sound weird, but a balloon landed in our backyard with stars and stripes on it. And it was a helium balloon that just stayed there in our backyard for about an hour and then floated up into the heavens just weird with yeah. with the american flag on it and i don't know yeah. where that came from plus a guy came up i used to preach in the local square every day for 12 years this guy had never done that he used to be in a booth for a, an old christian organization and one one day in that three-day period i was just walking back to my car thinking about going to live in the u.s he came running after me yelled out ray run after me probably 50 yards and just said goodbye and shook my hand He'd never done that before, and he'd been there for years. And so those that was about yeah. five different things that happened, but there was like 13 in a row that just like that, they thought, this is just strange. So we just made the decision to come, and we did. We went. Have you, have you ever been asked a question by an unbeliever when you're sharing the gospel that you still don't know the answer to? Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. One, one time I was... Uh, flabbergasted by a guy when I was open air preaching and I haven't got all the answers but I know what to say when I don't have an answer I just say I haven't got an answer for that I'll try and find out if you really want it they usually don't really want it they just want to justify their sins but one time I was put in a real difficult position I was preaching and a guy just stood in front of me and he just yelled out my wife just died of cancer why didn't God help her and he burst into tears and walked off he wouldn't stay for me to talk to him and it was a very difficult situation because what can you say um, with a crowd looking at you and um, if I could have run after that guy and said let me take you to lunch and just talk about how we live in a fallen creation and there's suffering around every corner because we're in rebellion to god and if you'll repent trust christ you'll have peace with god and everlasting life and you won't die either yeah. but he just ran off he walked off and very very angry and and almost sobbing mm. it's very sad yeah that's definitely a hard one yeah well we know why there's suffering yes but we don't know why god allows so much suffering Especially among, you know, the godly, you know, someone who's a really neat, kind, good person, and they just go through terrible suffering and say, Lord, why? You read the book of Job and learn the lesson from Job. Job kept saying, you know, God's doing okay, I'm not upset. And then he got upset and wanted to talk to God, and then God spoke to him. And he laid his hand upon his mouth and said, 
I've heard of you by the hearing of my ear, but now my eye has seen you, wherefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and in ashes. So I've learned that lesson from Job. Lay your hand upon your mouth. Don't question God. Just trust him and realize that you're the creature and you're sinful and you've got no right to question the motives of a holy God that can never do wrong. You work very closely with your family and several friends um, through this ministry. You do a podcast um, with your son-in-law and then close friends as well. My dad always says, like, if you want to destroy relationships, then get in business with the people. But how do you maintain such a healthy relationship where you can still, like, sit across the table with um, those people? Because that's got to be a challenge. It's not really. I had a friendship and a close relationship with Kurt Cameron, the actor, for mm-hmm. many years, and we we are still good friends. Usually ministries like that end up with disagreements, mm-hmm. but if you've got grace towards each other, and Kurt got a lot of grace, and same with the guys I work with, that podcast is just so much fun, and each of the participants, the participants Mark and Oscar and Easy, they're very, very godly, mm-hmm. very uh, full of the fruits of the Spirit, and one of the fruits of the Spirit is mercy. And so you have a merciful attitude to one other people and realize they can make mistakes. And if you realize that and you have love towards them and they say something you disagree with, you just let it go, yeah. you know, or have it cut out secretly afterwards because <laughs> you're the boss. But I, the podcast is wonderful. We spend 10 minutes of being idiots, absolute stupid dad jokes and everything. And people love that format because they know we're going to go serious. Yes. And uh, we all really... Really, we don't rehearse anything. We really enjoy that first 10 minutes especially yeah. um, because that's what friends do. Yeah, I that the Living Waters podcast is my like absolute favorite podcast in the whole world. And whenever there's like not that first 10 minutes, I'm like, that's sad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sometimes we're dealing with a very serious subject today and we're not going to yeah. have anything. Oh, you know, yeah, so. or like at the end when Easy's like, no silliness and like, yeah. oh. oh, okay, that's sad. <laughs> it's like going to the dentist with no Novocaine. You've got to have that painkiller <laughs> at the beginning. And I just got to say, that podcast is amazing because I, I'm i out of my depth. Those guys are real intellectual, mm-hmm. so I bluff it for about 40 minutes each day. <laughs> Whether you want to admit it or not, I don't know how you feel about this, but when did you realize you were famous? Oh, boy. That's a, that's a really funny one because it's a weird, weird thing when people come up and say, can you sign this for me or can I take a picture of this? You think, what are they doing this for? It, it doesn't make sense. You heard of Paul McCartney, Paul. one of the Beatles? I, Have you heard of the Beatles? I've heard of the Beatles. <laughs> okay, one of the Beatles, uh, Paul McCartney, very, very famous. Everybody who's anybody knows who Paul McCartney is. He said something that was very important to me. And he said, when they met Elvis, have you heard of Elvis Presley? <laughs> I know that is. <laughs> okay, when the Beatles met Elvis, um, they were in a room with him. I think they played Paul, talked with music, and Elvis turned to them and said, if you keep staring at me, I'm just going to bed. Because he felt uncomfortable being yeah. stared at. And so Paul McCartney says he remembers how he was with Elvis, mm-hmm. and that makes him understand how people are when they meet him, because they go googly-eyed and don't know what to yeah. say, and I want to go, you with Paul McCartney. <laughs> Um, so that helps me understand it because you, you just, you, it's a, just a, it's very, it's kind of uncomfortable when strangers come up, want to give you a hug and they won't let go. <laughs> <laughs> um, I had something else to say that was very relevant to that, uh, but I can't think what it was about fame. It's gone. It'll come back to me. Okay. So you were mentioning the 
those weird interactions. How do you handle those interactions? Because people know you very well from listening to the podcast, reading your books, watching your videos, but you, they're just complete strangers to you. So how do you um, handle that? Uh, I try and make them feel relaxed. I give them a couple of in and out cards and that makes them feel relaxed. I give them a living waters hat, load them with gifts, say where you're from and make them feel um, comfortable. Yeah. Because they do feel a bit funny. Oh, it's come back to me. Okay. What I going to talk about? <laughs> Have you heard of David Wilkerson? No. No. You need to repent. <laughs> David Wilkerson is back from the 1960s, way back in history, maybe 70s. He was walking through New York and he saw some gang members, mm-hmm. and one of them didn't have shoes, so he gave him his shoes. And then he went into court uh, to defend these guys that were beating up somebody, and someone took his photo, and uh, he became instantly famous in New York. And they made a movie about him. Uh, it was a major motion picture, and he was my hero. I read one of his books that sold 14 million copies. His book called Squ- it's called Cross and the, Switch- the Cross and the Switchblade. And so um, I knew who he was. I knew his voice. He had a great voice when he was preaching, and he called me up. He, f- he called me up. He had heard Hell's Best Kept Seek and called me on his car phone, which was amazing in 1993, having a car phone. He flew me across to New York and took me to, uh, to, to lunch. I think it was lunch. And so I was sitting opposite David Wilkerson saying, this is David Wilkerson. I could reach out and poke his eye out. It was like if I had a choice of having lunch between him and John the Baptist, I would have chosen him. Mainly because of the menu. Uh. I don't like locusts. <laughs> um, but yeah, he was my hero. So um, I understood how I feel. And even thinking about meeting David Wilkerson now, 30 years later, still gives me a buzz. Mm. So I know how people feel when they meet me and they say, look, it's really great to meet you. I've got to make that special for them and not say, look, I'm too busy. I don't want to talk yeah. to you. I'd never do that because suddenly you become an enemy to them because yeah. you let them down in a horrible way. So it's something you've got to slip into and wear comfortably because it's um, it can be used for the gospel in a, in a great way. I can encourage people, and that, that makes me very pleased to do that. Yeah. Do you remember the first time someone recognized you in public? Yeah, it was way back in about 1978, 79. I wrote a book that became a bestseller in New Zealand, and it got television publicity. So I used to sign my books for people and stuff like that. So I've had 40 years to kind of... <laughs> <laughs> uh, I remember... We were talking to um, one of my cousins. She was probably like eight or nine. And she, I think this was after meeting you. I know it's definitely after meeting you, but um, she was talking to one of her friends who's about the same age. And this friend did not know who you were. She never heard of this, the Living Waters ministry. And my cousin was like so shocked that she that this friend had never heard of you because just like in their family you're just you're (laughs) like the videos are playing and you're just they know who you are um so here are some questions from my cousin um she wanted me to ask you this is from your cousin yes what's her name aquila aquila nice to meet you aquila Uh, have i met you yes that's a bible name (laughs) yes okay it was a great meeting yeah uh, so the first one is how did Cain and Abel get married to different people and have kids? Yeah, um, Adam and Eve were told by God to be fruitful and multiply. That means they were to have sex and have babies. Mm-hmm. And so they did. And so they would have had stacks of babies. Yeah. In fact, 
there was a whole city, yeah. it tells us. So when people marry, they would have married distant relatives, yeah. which is what we do today. When you marry a guy, he's a relative of the human race, yeah. a distant one. So there was no such thing as the law of incest in those days, so no one broke any laws. And so everything was sweet. We didn't crawl up out of a puddle after an explosion and become a primate and it split in two and became a male and female, which yeah. is crazy. Does so, that make sense? But if Cain and Abel were the only... They weren't. They had lots of sisters. Oh, okay. So, they, oh, okay. Lots of sisters. Oh, okay. Maybe thousands of sisters. <laughs> okay. Because we're, we're the dregs of the gene pool. They would have been very, very healthy in those days and pumped mm. out babies. Um, like, there's no tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, and then has anyone ever been offended? Uh, I just got to tell you, when you asked uh, me where Abel or Cain got his wife, I would tell you if I was Abel. <laughs> that was like a joke. Yes, I got that. <laughs> How has, or has anyone ever been offended when you talk to them about LGBTQ matters? I don't think so. Um... Because I've got an approach that's biblical. Yeah. I don't talk about homosexuality to begin with. If I meet someone who's got six-inch eyelashes mm. and he's got a voice like this, mm. I think this guy is not a woman, okay. but he's a man masquerading as a woman. I don't even notice her. I don't bring it up. I don't say you're doing something offensive to God. This is the Bible. De Camp condemns this. I just be really nice to them. Yeah. I, I was a guy the other day at a local college. He was just was a guy, deep voice and all this makeup on and... I said, would you like to come on camera and do an interview? He said, no. I was going to walk away. He said, I've seen you twice. I went back and said, what are you talking about? He said, I've seen you going around here twice on your bike with the dog. So he wanted to talk. Yeah. So I just said, oh, can I? you don't want to come on camera, but can I give you a book? He says, yeah. I says, here's two in and out cards for you. And I think I said, here's two for a couple of your friends. Mm. So I just loved on him. Yeah. And that's the way to handle it. And you never bring up the subject of homosexuality. To begin with, you take them through the moral law, the Ten Commandments, show them they're sinners heading for hell because they're liars, thieves, blasphemers, adulterers, fornicators, whatever. You don't mention homosexuality until they're humbled. Once they're humbled and they say, boy, I'm in big trouble with God and say, look, Bible gives a list. It says fornicators, adulterers, idolaters, homosexuals will not inherit the kingdom of God. So when you repent, you've got to turn from all sin, lying, yeah. stealing, homosexuality, lust, pornography pornography, everything. And they'll take it once they're humbled and they realize your motive is that you don't want them to go to hell. Yeah. And they're heading there despite their sexual orientation. Yeah. We've got a whole video on about, I think, eight homosexuals, one after the other, who gladly receive the gospel because of that approach. Yeah. I definitely have noticed that in your videos, that they seem to be more receptive because you don't bring up you know, what is obvious and what is obviously yeah. a sin because I'm sure they already know what they're doing is a sin. Yeah, and they're there with their boxing gloves on ready for a fundamentalist yeah. Bible-bashing bigot. And so you don't do what they expect. You just love on them and sweet, sweet, speak mm -hmm. gently to them. Yeah. Okay, then the last question from Aquila is, do some people say no to your question about having sex and pornography? Yeah, 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 they'll, they'll often lie. <laughs> this is this is a day and age where everybody is loose morally and it's really horrible and I don't like talking about it. And, you know, I was thinking this morning how it must make some people get very uncomfortable when I say to a girl, have you had sex before marriage? Mm -hmm. But Jesus did that with a woman at the well in John chapter 4. 
he brought up the fact that she was being intimate with all these different men. He brought it up. Yeah. And so um, uh, I know it's uncomfortable, but 90% of the time it, it works out fine. Mm. People just say, yeah, yeah, I'm in big trouble. Uh-huh. You know. And if people get upset, I say, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to offend you. I'll make sure that doesn't go in the video. Always yeah. really quick to do that. Well, that's good. Okay, the last question is um, for this one. How did you, how do you balance family and your speaking engagements? Because when you first started the ministry, you still had children at home and you were also going places to churches to speak, right? So how did you balance both of those things? That's a good question. I've spoken in over a thousand churches, so I know what you're talking about. It does take you away from your family. This is what started happening in the beginning, back in the early 1980s, late 70s. People would say, would you come and speak at our church? We've got, we'd like you to speak seven times. Oh, wow. And I'd say, I can speak twice. And you know what they'd say? That's okay. Oh, okay. I'd say, whoa. So when <laughs> I learned that, yeah. people say, well, you come, we've got eight times you'd like to speak, I can speak twice. That'll work. And I, I learned I can, I can call the tune with that. Mm. If, I'm, if they want me, I can say, I can, and I, I say, look, I'll come, on a, I'll come on a Sunday morning and I'll leave at lunchtime. Is that okay? Mm. And they say, oh, yeah, I'd like you to stay for the evening. I say, but that means I have to leave home and fly home on Monday, which means I'm away from my family. And they say, oh, well, that's fine. So I learned that I can call the tune and I spent, with my kids' upbringing, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday at home with my family fly out on a Saturday night, this is New Zealand, and speak on a Sunday morning, be home Sunday afternoon. And so it was great, a lot of more time with my family than most. We used to go frog hunting and collect frogs and sell them and things like that. My kids loved it. Yeah, that's good. It's definitely family is something you want to prioritize more than yeah. something else, right? Well, thank you so much for having this conversation with me. It's, it's been fun. And the next podcast will be another one with you. So... That'll be fun. I look forward to that.